0: Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kibley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey.
1: All right, so welcome to the CarePod. Today, I am with James Prada, emergency medicine colleague. Uh, And dear friend, I often refer to him as my brother from another mother, medicine physician assistant now entering your third decade. Can you believe it? Almost your third decade in medicine. Uh, Yeah. 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 Welcome to the CarePod. Thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Wow. It's, It's a pleasure seeing you. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So I want to get right to it. We hear so much about how doctors don't listen, clinicians don't listen, they don't care. I'm in the emergency department for 25 hours waiting for my loved one to be seen. When should I go to the ER? When should I stay home? How do I know whether to do telehealth or urgent care or emergent care? All of these questions that are valid concerns for the consumer, really you know, what do you mm-hmm. say? What, what are, what is your feedback on to patients and families?
0: Well, what you just described here, Kipley, is, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it's a quagmire, you know, medicine is a quagmire of, of, you know, decision-making for access to care, you know, when to go to the ER, I think is an important um, question and when not, not to go to the ER. So like, if you're, primary care provider is recommending you go to the ER if your symptoms worsen, you know, I think that's valid to go to, you know, any emergency department or possibly urgent care, you know, but the volume has increased uh, so exponentially in emergency departments throughout the past three years, you know, since COVID, COVID has turned the world upside down. So I guess what you're asking me is when should you bring a loved one to the ER? I would say if their symptoms are worsening, you're not sure. <clears throat> I know myself, the way I practice is uh, I'll tell a patient that I see in the ER, return to the ER if symptoms worsen, and I, I think that's important, or you know, send me a message where I can kind of field it on the phone call or have them come back in to re- reevaluate it.
1: There's something important you said there because you know there is a gap in education in that You know, we tell patients, okay, if your symptoms increase, worsen or change, right, go to the, but, you know, assessing what that symptomatology is, or what is that litmus test, litmus test, what is that barometer when you say yeah it's okay I need to go right now, beyond obviously I think the biggest misnomer is that how many emergencies, right? Do do we really treat in the emergency room? I think the emergency room Correct. has become the amplified primary care office.
0: Yeah, it, it can be. <clears throat> it can be like all primary care stuff, and then a small percentage of you know true emergencies. Um, i think in this country though access to care for people is important after the you know emergence of covid and the now we're dealing with the aftermath in the emergency department there's not many primary care providers taking their patients on schedule for you know for visits like they used to you know a lot of primary care providers retired or they're not practicing or their practice has gotten so busy they're overwhelmed um, the ERs are overwhelmed, which we would expect, as well as urgent cares in the area. Um, I happen to live and work in an area where, you know, there's a lot of healthcare institutions and urgent cares that, you know, patients can get access to care to. But, the you know, the market, the the whole system is just so flooded. And, you know, I think, you know, patients, you know, what it comes down to is access to care and having that good continuity of care, communication with your provider, and having that provider communicate with the patient. Uh, That provider-patient communication is, I think, is the hallmark of medicine. You know, take the whole medical component out of it, uh, medical education and stuff like that, but that communication between the provider and the patient um, is what makes the difference. It really does. And yeah, a provider can't be around 100% of the time, but some kind of you know, nowadays we have iPhones and we can message on my chart. and chart, you know, I would recommend to all my patients. And in fact, when I see a patient in the emergency department, you know, I, I'll do a team discharge is what we call it. Team discharge. I go in with the nurse. I go over all the instructions. I want my patients to have clear instructions on when to return. Say, for example, if you have an increased fever, night sweats, chills, increase in symptomology you know, because a lot of times patients don't even understand the instructions where, you know, I like to spell it out, give them verbal and written instructions. I tell them to log on to my chart, the website. Uh, They can log in on their computer at home or their iPhone, Droid, you know, and they can send me a message like, Hey, you know, this medication's not working. This antibiotic's not working. What should I do? And I can kind of say, go to your PCP, come back and see me, Um, That kind of thing, you know, Uh, my chart has been a game changer, I think, in the field of medicine, both for the patient and the provider, because it just increases the communication. And in this day and age, everyone's into texting, instant messaging. So I, I, yeah, I think that's paramount with this.
1: And, and, you know, you, you touch on an important point in, you know, yes, just yesterday I did a lecture and when I'm on the lecture circuit, I say, you know, hashtag take our Google back. You know because i feel Uh that we can't as clinicians and thought leaders in medicine say you know listen my patients listening to somebody on instagram or youtube or they're you know googling symptoms you know and then not take the responsibility to take that extra moment to educate at bedside because that clearly there is a gap of, you know, when do I go? What is the symptom mean for me and my loved one? You know, how is it going to, you know, change their functionality? Like so many questions that patients have that they have to seek their answers on their own. So I do think to your point that we need the onus is on us to kind of bridge that gap in bedside education. So define a true emergency. And
0: I don't want to interrupt you, but I you kind of touched on a topic where I think I want to just open this up a little bit more to um, AI, artificial intelligence, which is emerging like in all aspects of our lives, including healthcare. But I think it's so much more important to have the communication with a provider, you know, whether it be on the phone, Facetime, text, whatever, um, through my chart, through um, you know, a platform versus like the emerging artificial intelligence. And you can say Google searching is artificial intelligence because you're looking something up, that kind of thing. There's also this chat bot, all these different things that people are going to, to kind of put in your symptoms and, you know, you get the diagnosis. Well, it leads patients down a rabbit hole. And then they start thinking of a lot of different things. They become very anxious. Then they start presenting to the ER with a million complaints, uh, symptoms, and they're wondering like, well, what about this? What about that? Where I think if PCPs, uh, emergency providers, you know, family medicine offices communicate with their patients when they have questions, we wouldn't have this, you know, big dependence on AI, artificial intelligence. I mean, artificial intelligence is is brand new, but I think it's really going to impact healthcare as we move forward, you know?
1: So again,
0: I mean, I, this might be a, like, for another 100%. podcast.
1: Yeah. And, my, it, and also, I think it goes back to us taking control of our narrative. You yes. Know,
0: yes. Absolutely. You That's know, what it is.
1: Uh, taking control over the narrative that, uh, but we, you know, listen, there's the best of us and the worst of us in every profession, right? So we have sat with encyclopedias for clinicians who don't have the heart for people. And so, right. you know, there's that too. And patients feel that. So I think, the other thing that I emphasize is that, you know, you're a patient, I'm a patient, you know, you are looking into the eyes at someone suffering. That could be you, your aunt, your mom, your sister, your brother, your grandpa. So I think when we kind of take our own pulse and emphasize to patients that, hey, you know, we're we're, we're dealing with some of the same issues you're dealing with as well, it becomes important. Um, so define emergency. Define emergency, and for our for our podcast audience who doesn't know what my chart is, so my chart's a way to advocate for your loved one. In that, when you go to a hospital scenario, an emergency department, uh, you have the ability to sign on into that portal to see your own tests, et cetera, what is prescribed, your diagnostic imaging. So it helps you partner with your clinician to understand what's going on. So that's what my chart is. So define what is a true emergency and what you know warrants going to the emergency department.
0: Okay, so a, a true emergency is a situation in which um, a reasonably prudent person without any kind of medical training um would determine that immediate care is needed. That is the formal term, okay, but we want to we want to do a deep dive into this. let's let's do a deep dive in this. What is a true emergency? Emergency would be like a loved one falling, God forbid, injuring themselves, even if you have medical training, like you're not sure what to do or you do know what to do, and you know you need extra help, you know, I would you know, kind of tell your listeners and your patients like a true emergency is really, you know, a situation or a complaint where you're just really unsure. You know, obviously we all know cardiac arrest is a true emergency, you know, CPR, et cetera. Um, but, you know, a lot of times like a sprained ankle, is that a true emergency or can it be seen at urgent care if it's mild? Um, Some people have no idea, like, you know, because they're not medically trained. So I'm going to take this, you know, this um, definition of the situation in which a reasonably prudent person without medical training would determine that immediate care is needed. And I'm going to expand on it and just say, if you feel as a family member, as a participant, as a public member, whatever, that you have an emergency on your hands, I'm going to say, go ahead and pull the trigger and say, hey, this is an emergency. I got to get to a healthcare facility. We can kind of dive a little deeper too. Like if it's, you know, if there's an airway issue, asthmatic, you know, acute asthma, that's a true emergency. That needs to be seen at the emergency department. You know, abdominal pain that's intractable, meaning that you can't really get control of this pain. That's a true emergency. Um, You know, chest pain, you know, a lot of people have chest pain. There's so many different Atypical chest pains or cardiac chest pains. You know, again, true emergency, you know. So I would say if you're having, you know, any of those things and you're concerned, headache, stroke like symptoms that's not going away, abdominal pain, you know, get to your closest emergency department and get the care you need. The emergency departments are wide open. Yes, they're busy, but, you know, when you come into the emergency department, you're going to get, you know, a triage and a lot of times you'll get a screening by a medical provider, you know, by a physician or a mid-level provider that can kind of determine, okay, well, this is, you know, this is super emergent. We've got to rush this patient back and treatment started, you know, but yeah, when you, I mean, I would say, you know, for the patients listening or your listeners, you know, if you're having headache, numbness, weakness, problems, talking, walking, if you can't walk, that's a true emergency. We've got to figure out why you can't walk, you know. If you're having chest pain, uh, really bad tearing type back pain, abdominal pain, true emergency. Hip pain in the elderly, true emergency. Get to your emergency department. You know, sore throat, that can kind of be seen at like urgent care. You know, some rashes can be seen at urgent care without any airway compromise. But, you know, true emergencies, airway, you know, breathing and circulation the ABCs, right? You always got to look at that. And determine you know if there's a true emergency there, but I would always recommend everybody you know call their primary care provider, present to the emer- uh, urgent care or the emergency department. You know,
1: and don't forget our our telehealth options as well.
0: Oh, can't believe yes, yes,
1: <laughs> telehealth,
0: telehealth, telehealth, yes. I mean, you know, I know you always have somebody twenty four seven. So yes, call your telemed provider. Say hey, you know, I you know, I think this might be an emergency, but I'm not sure, can I run this by you real quick, you know?
1: Interested in learning more about the Impactful Caregiving Affiliate Program? Reach out, connect at impactfulcaregiving.com. So I want you to give me your top 10 tips for a successful emergency department visit so i top am 10. yes i'm miss mary sunshine and i have decided that it is uh, a necessity for me to take my aging loved one to the emergency department so i want you if you were the mouthpiece for every emergency department in this country to say, you know, this is what your expectations should be, both of yourselves as family members and what you should expect from the clinician when you arrive. So give us your top 10 successful tips for an emergency department visit.
0: Wow, Kipley, you caught me off guard with this one, but we're going to jump right into this. You know, so, so I, I would say, you know, first of all, before you go to the emergency department, know that the emergency department is very busy. There's a lot of different things going on. There's a lot of uh, what we call resources happening. Resources meaning, you know, patients getting medications, nursing resources, provider resources, that kind of stuff. I would say the number one thing is patience, right? You want to have patience with yourself and with your loved one. If you feel that your loved one needs emergency care, you know, go to the emergency department. You know, I hope it's not like a 911 situation where you have to call the paramedics and that kind of thing. And you can kind of go in the waiting room, get get your loved one triaged. Be very nice. Be kind. So number one would be patience. Number two, be very kind to the emergency department staff. They are here to help you. They're not They're not here to harm you or to hinder you or anything like that. So number one, patience. Number two, be kind. Number three, be compassionate to the emergency department and what everything's, all the uh, happenings in the emergency department. Because you're going to have, not only is there a waiting room, there's an area where you know EMS and paramedics are coming in. You don't know what is coming in through the doors um, in the back with EMS. You don't know what kind of emergencies they're dealing with. Number four, understand that, you know, everyone's doing their best job. There may be some staffing issues, but for the most part, we're well-staffed, well-trained to handle any emergency that, that comes in the door. So understand, that, you know, those things. I guess number five would be, once you're back in the emergency department, um, you might need some ancillary testing. You might see, need some labs, you know, some blood work testing. You may need an X-ray. You may need a CAT scan. You may need an MRI. All these different things. Be patient with that. You know, um, there's other patients there, so be cognizant of that. And if you're waiting for an X-ray or an imaging test or, or laboratory results, be patient with everyone. That's that's important. Number six. As you get in your, you know, as you get all your stuff done. Uh, be patient for the provider to give you the results. The provider is going to give you all the results. Um, you, you may be there for three hours, two hours, five hours, six hours, but the provider and the nurse are working very hard along with the ER techs and the ancillary staff, meaning x-ray techs, CAT scan techs, to kind of provide the best care for you. Uh, most emergency departments, they work on different virtues or values, how they want their patients treated, and it's you know, world-class experiences. They want their patients to be treated by, you know, world-class parameters. So you just kind of patient, you know, all those things are going to get done. Number seven, once you get results, you know, your provider may say, hey, you know, everything looks great. Follow up with your PCP. You know, you want to ask your provider for detailed instructions. I think detailed instructions for patients are super important. You know, hey, follow up within this period of time, one to two days with your primary care doctor, Oh, follow up within a week. You know, if you got seen by a specialist in the emergency department, follow up with your specialist in a week, two days, whatever it may be. So, you want detailed instructions. So, number seven would be like, ask the provider and nurse, say, you know, I don't mean to give you more work, but I really want those detailed patient instructions, and they'll provide you with that. I, I mean, I think that's valid because you want to know what's going on. Um, and that's advocating for yourself, that kind of thing. Chances are you're going to have a great experience in emergency department. There's a lot going on. That's important. Number eight, once you get all your information and you're happy with everything, you know, it's always important just to say thank you to your provider, you know what I mean? And and your nurse, that's always kind. You know uh, we find patients like that all the time. They're just, thank you for your time. That kind of thing. I would say, Number nine, if you, if there is a chance that you do get admitted to the hospital from the emergency department, you want to ask questions like, Hey, you know, what are the next steps there? They may give you that, all that information. Um, But, you know, I would say most of our visits are treat and release, meaning we see the patient, we treat them for whatever they came in for, and then they're going to follow up with their primary care provider. And I would say number 10, you know, after you get your instructions and everything, Log into that my chart. Really log into that my chart so you can kind of take take control of your healthcare. You know, and I, you know, I just want to. I don't know how much time we have here, at Kip, and I don't want to take your time. But I've had a bunch of patients throughout the years like they had good experiences, you know, and then they'll send like a little card to the emergency department saying thank you for the experience. It may be an email like that goes so so far with. Providers, because we're we're in the emergency department. We're working. We're critically thinking. There's a lot going on, uh, not only in the patients' brains but in the providers' brains too. But to have a patient say, "Hey, thank you for everything you did for me," it could be the smallest card ever, or little message or email. It means the world to these providers and these nurses. Absolutely. Um, So yeah, and I
1: want to piggyback off of your list too. So. I think also it's patience across colleagues to look at your colleague to say, you know what, I I see what you're doing. I applaud your work. You're an excellent leader. I know you're carrying a lot of pressure right now. I see you're stressed. I see you're hungry. Um, take a break. I'll carry this patient for you. I'll cover this room uh, while you step out uh, of the department for a second. I think. Uh, Patience with one another uh, as colleagues is important in this high demand, high stress environment, regardless of specialty. And then you spoke to really a shared empathy when you talk about compassion and patience and kindness. You know, there's a lot of sights and sounds and smells. And, you know, I think having been alongside you working clinically the frustration comes when you know someone is so impatient and they're there with a stubbed toe and that toe is extremely important to them and we don't belabor that stubbed toe but at the same time there's someone in the other room that is in having an acute heart attack and they were just as patient as can be and as pleasant as can be and they weren't complaining and here they're having a major emergency. And so having shared empathy to look at your neighbor, you know, when you're there in the department to understand, wow, you know what, my emergency may not be as bad as my neighbor's right now. So let me sit here and not complain and understand that, you know what, it may be a five hour wait. So I I think that's important. I also like to encourage patients to, you know, bring their bags of comfort, you know, not Mm -hmm. if you're with abdominal pain we don't want you snacking on doritos from the vending machine <laughs> but we you know as the caregiver we want you to be prepared with your iphone chargers and your magazines your right things to help you pass the time and to decrease the anxious feelings of not knowing what's what's going to occur next
0: i think that's important you know um you know a lot of you know like i I keep going back to my chart. I go back to my chart because a lot of patients have my chart on their iPhones or droids. Um, And they can see like all the progress of their care while in the emergency department, they'll see their labs, their imaging, stuff like that, which kind of, you know, gives some peace of mind. You know, sometimes it can be a little hectic if they see the results and then you as the provider don't get them in time or they get them before you. But we kind of get into, once we get into my chart and the results and everything, I always think it's important, you know, I make this practice of my own, um, to have what we call this shared decision-making discussion. You have to have a shared decision-making discussion with your patients, uh, where you kind of sit down and say, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. This is where we're at. Here's the results. You know, I always try to, you know, throw in a joke or two to loosen people up. Um, because in another podcast, we should get into like, um, how people feel when they come in an emergency department. You know, imagine somebody who's never been in an emergency department. How anxious they feel. Like you mentioned, sights and sounds. I mean, overstimulation off the chart. I mean, you have monitors going, you have bells, whistles, people yelling, people talking. I mean, there's a lot going on. So if somebody's not used to that environment, um, which most people aren't. Their anxiety level can go through the roof. They become overstimulated, you know, and then they can shut down on you too, or you know, not tell you the whole story because they want to get out of there and, and that kind of thing. So, but that's for another yeah,
1: podcast. Yeah, that want is, it is important. important. It, it very it is. Um, you spoke about ancillary testing, X-rays, MRIs, the like. Uh, I really like you to set the expectation for that though because I know clinically myself over the years, it seems almost cool negligent to say to a patient, well, we don't have that specific test out of the emergency department. Uh, set the expectations over when a, an MRI is indicated or not indicated or, or when that patient has to get that that test as an outpatient, et cetera.
0: Yeah, so this is a great question and something you know I deal with every day. The thing is, A lot of patients, you know, are recommended to get an MRI for many different reasons. Could be, you know, for back pain, could be for a lot of different things. A lot of times it's a recommendation by their PCP or specialist to get the MRI. And most of the times it's an outpatient type MRI. A lot of patients have this, you know, preconception that, you know, if I go to the emergency department, I can get that outpatient MRI done through the emergency department you know, and making an emergency or be covered by insurance, you know, these kind of things. Um, I think, you know, in this country, in insurance kind of dictates a lot. You know, I just had a patient the other day tell me, you know, she got billed for $6,500 for a COVID test that wow. she had done in an emergency department in Michigan. And her, you know, her insurance said we're not paying for preventative health care. And you had this COVID test done in Detroit, Michigan and 6,500 bucks. So she's telling me about this, asking me what I can do. I don't work in Michigan. So I'm like, wow, this is, this is interesting. Like, you know, the, the way the health insurances are set up with different things. But to get back to your point here, you know, MRI, it's usually the PCP or the specialist saying, Hey, you know, get an MRI. It's different. Sometimes they'll say, go to the emergency department. Can get an MRI if they think it's something acutely emergent, you know, with back pain or different things like that or something neurological. And then, you know, when we kind of get into the different patient populations, I like to talk about our patients who are pregnant, you know, MRI is the test of choice for a lot of different things going on in the abdomen when you have your pregnant patients, you know, because it's really no radiation. So in that kind of situation, then yeah, you know, through the emergency department, but I find so many times on a daily basis, weekly basis, you know, patients have the misconception that to get my outpatient MRI, you know, I'll just go to the emergency department to get it done quicker. Not only does that use up resources, but it's, it takes up, you know, resources for other patients who may need beds or emergent type study. So think about that. I would tell your patients and your viewers, think about that. Like, does this mri of the knee need to be done emergently or can i get it done outpatient because in my mind i know the emergency room's packed with you know critically ill patients that you know might need an mri of something you know more serious than what i have believe me your complaint is serious if you have knee pain or whatever but try to understand that a little bit more but i i think that you know kind of points to the fact of you know, our public, our sociological system, the way we do things here in this country, you know, it's like, go to the ER, you can get this done. There has to be more education out there. And that's going to come from PCPs, um, telemed providers like yourself. And I hope there's more telemed out there that kind of educates patients on this.
1: Yeah, I think, again, it goes back to taking back the control over the narrative we give and the care we give to each other as clinicians and to the patients that we serve. So yeah. always a pleasure sit with colleagues, kind of talk shop, educate the public. Uh, care is in an international platform, but it's all relevant. It is, it is relevant to kind of take our own pulse and say, listen, you know, we have to do better. Sleep, last question. What do you think we're doing well? What do you think we're doing well? There's been a lot of kind of talk on, what, you know, in in media on how, you know, medicine is failing people. But what do what do you think we're doing well?
0: We're doing we're doing a lot of things well. Um, I think, you know, all of that negativity and media talk is, you know, obviously. The, the whole healthcare system was stressed before COVID. COVID kind of broke it, I feel. But what we're doing well, I think, is seeing our patients, trying to get them in, out, seeing them quicker. I give a lot of credit to our specialists, our surgeons, everybody that's in the healthcare system. I mean, they're really trying hard to get back on track, you know, since COVID kind of threw us off track. So I think we're getting patients in quicker Uh, from an emergency medicine standpoint, we're getting our patients in quicker. We're having better, you know, flow of patients. Um, Of course, it's going to get clogged up here and there, but we're doing that. I think the whole, you know, medical world of, you know, providers and mid-level practitioners is expanding. Um, I think medicine's changing. And as a provider, we're kind of, you know, in that middle there where, you know, we're learning that medicine is changing and we have to change and increase the provider-patient interaction. And I've seen, you know, I've taken a bunch of classes on patient-provider interaction and helping patients feel more comfortable in emergency departments and stuff like that. Uh, Some of those principles I've taken in my own practice and I've seen my colleagues do it. So I I do think we're increasing the uh, awareness of the provider-patient, you know, interaction. And the patients are happier. Um, The patients are happier that they're getting the care. Um, The COVID numbers, the COVID numbers have been down. COVID, you know, pretty much scared everyone. Um, And, you know, it brings us today to March 7th, 2023, which we've come a long way since April, March, April, May of 2020. I mean, remember back then, right? I I think COVID
1: was officially a thing March 9th right? March 9th or 10th? March 9th, 2020? Yeah. Um, so, um, I think, honestly, we needed the shakeup. You know, I would never be as insensitive to say we needed COVID, but I think we right. needed to tighten up our protocols. We need accountability to one another in our healthcare systems. We need mm-hmm. accountability to our patients that we serve. We need to right. realize that we are the same as the patients that we serve, that we have right of, of having additional education and training. But right. I think the day it's all shared humanity, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It really is too. It
1: yeah. really is
0: right. too. And this may be for another podcast camp in the future, but you know,
1: You're, you're enjoying the th- AirPods so much. You want to come back? Is that what this is?
0: <laughs> I do. I do. It's always, it's always a pleasure. Um, connecting with you, brainstorming and, you know, just doing deep dives on this stuff. But I, I think like, you know, I, the other thing, I, so you said, give, give you 10 things about the ER experience. I, I want to add a, a, a number 11, number 11, we We've to throw a number 11 in there. You know, like when you're in the ER, understand that providers also are human. Like you brought up humanity. Providers are also human. Not only are they seeing, you know, X amount of patients in the emergency department multitasking, like excellence, but they're also human. So, you know, they have families, all these kind of things play into the role of a provider. So I think it's important to, you know, talk to your provider, you know, open up that communication and the provider needs to open up communication with you. So, you know, cause we all have lives outside of, you know, the emergency department or work or whatever. So, you know, maybe a provider's having a bad day. Maybe that, hey, you know what? Thank you for helping me. We'll brighten that provider's, you know, whole entire day. Or um, maybe the provider's having a great day. He's just seeing, he or she is just seeing too many patients and overwhelmed, that kind of thing. Think of those things as a patient.
1: Absolutely. And listen, you know, I share here and I have told prada for decades that i had chosen to move on in my career to ultimately obtain my medical doctorate but i never belabor the experiences and training uh in my early career as a physician assistant because at the end of the day the physician assistants the nurse practitioners are the workforce of this profession period and i think that It's important for patients to recognize the level of commitment and dedication that, you know, these clinicians provide across the country, you know, and are often dismissed because, you know, the MD isn't there. And, you know, there's many times I've told you, listen, I'm going forward because I'm weak, not because I'm strong, you know, because that battle just became too, too much. Uh, so it allows right. me to to advocate uh, even more so for these professions because it is a groundbreaking patient care that right. has bridged the gap in patient education that we've discussed, has bridged the gap in that bedside time that is so necessary, that has been the foundation of uh, the advanced clinical provider. So... I salute yes. you. I salute you, brother. I salute you.
0: And are I salute your- you. You are awesome. Um, yes, that is it. I'm uh, excited to see our next podcast. and some <laughs> Next topics we can cover. Um, you know, whatever you need, anytime. You know, you know how to reach me. Okay. Um, but it has, it has been a pleasure doing this with you.
1: Well, thanks again. Thank you for sitting with with us here on the CarePod, and I hope that you're advice and input about uh, you know, emergency department visits will be helpful for, for many families in our audience. So thank you so much again.
0: Great information right from the source. For more information on how to care give like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at CarePod at impactfulcaregiving.com.